0: Book of Mormon Prophecy, a podcast series by Avraham Giliadi Ph.D. 1. Avraham Giliadi Testimony How did receiving an intellectual as well as spiritual testimony of the Book of Mormon influence Avraham Giliadi What impact has it had on others? Welcome to Book of Mormon Prophecy podcast series, number one, Abraham Gileadie Testimony. Now I'm including that, although this podcast series is not about me, I'm including it, nevertheless, to give you an idea of where I'm coming from, how I got started in this, and what led up to it, a little bit about my background. So real we'll fast, we're going to brush, brush through this. I was born in Holland in the beginning of the Second World War. And it deeply affected me, seeing the war all around me and the fear feeling the fear and the scarcity and a lot of things. My father, who was a uh, in the Dutch underground, helped a New Zealand pilot escape to Britain who was shut down. And that's how we got eventually to emigrate to New Zealand. Under the auspices of that family, that pilot's family. So in New Zealand in Holland I had a very spiritual childhood uh, and in New Zealand, however, I kind of uh, got into rock music in my teens and uh, kind of fell away spiritually. And then I realized what I was doing after a while as I saw these people gyrating out on the floor and uh, had read the books of Adam and Eve and seeing that that was what happened in the time of Jared uh, in the Bible, in the book of Genesis, whose, whose name means going down. And the people of the covenant lived on mountain mesas in those days, and because the people of Cain played this music that ravished the soul, that said they enticed the people of the covenant to go down the mountain. once they went down, they couldn't get back up. And so eventually, in the days of Jared, nearly everybody went down, and uh, only uh, Noah and his family were eventually left. So I realized I need to go back to my spiritual roots that I had in Holland and the Netherlands. So that eventually led to my reading the New Testament, getting deeply involved in that, then reading the Old Testament and coming across the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament. Something clicked with me there from my teens, even, um, that somehow I felt it was, it was about us today or in the end time. But, I, you know, using ancient names like Assyria and Egypt and so on, and I had no idea how that could be, both our day and also back then, until I learned about that later on. So I felt that um, in Israel, they were, the Jews were fulfilling prophecy, and I wanted to be part of that. So I looked in the back of an old Bible and found a place in Israel and pointed to a spot on the map, and it was, it was Jezreel, in the Jezreel Valley. And I said, when I go to Israel, I'm going there. Just that and I was determined to go there to that place. So I left everything behind in New Zealand my whole life and made my way to Israel and learned some Hebrew and eventually ended up on that kibbutz which is a farming settlement, communistic farming settlement, a collective. And it was built on the ancient site of Jezreel which I found on the map in New Zealand. And it turned out to be the only place in Israel or Jewish immigrants from New Zealand and Australia. And that's where I was from, New Zealand. So this was (laughs) an interesting coincidence, I thought. And later on, after I'd studied some Hebrew and and, uh, worked in agriculture there, I went to read my first book in Hebrew in the kibbutz library of Jezreel. And the lady librarian is Jewish, of course, and I read the Book of Mormon in English, probably also the only Book of Mormon in Israel. So these were two great coincidences that, that I realized are not coincidences at all. And uh, so then I looked around for the church in Israel, couldn't find it, I asked information services. I prayed about what to do and I felt to study Judaism with rabbis, which I did. I settled on a religious kibbutz, really, and I went through complete conversion to Judaism, and then eventually located in a rabbinic school where they studied the Jewish manner manner of the Jews, or the Jewish methodology in the rabbinic schools or yeshivas. And uh, hereafter, I had stayed there and learned the manner of the Jews from the rabbi, from the rabbis, several rabbis. Um, I came across the advertisement of the church services in Israel, in Jerusalem, where I was. Now, the rabbi had taught me that uh, the book of Isaiah was uh, about his day, Isaiah's day, and also about our day, at the end time. And he has asked, well, do you have any proof? He said, no, but it's a tra- tradition among us. And then later on during my PhD program at BYU, I found the proof, the literary, literary proof from internal evidence in the book of Isaiah. But in the meantime, I came to BYU and, and started studying there for a bachelor's. And then a master's and a PhD. I was also hired at that time to, to revise, uh, first of all, to, re- to review the Hebrew translation of the Book of Mormon, and then the second time, to rob- revise it as well. And besides the size of spiritual testimony that I'd got from reading the Book of Mormon in English, in that religious, in that um, kibbutz Jezreel, I gained an intellectual testimony of it later on, when I was working at BYU. I was, I, as soon as I got some qualifications, even halfway through my bachelor's program, I was teaching Hebrew at BYU. And then later on, Old Testament and New Testament. And it was hard to do to work on the Bible project, the, the new set of scriptures, or translation problems in the King James Bible that were in the prophets of the Bible, the Hebrew, Hebrew prophets. All those footnotes there are there are mine, but there was not enough room to include them all in that project. But the Hebrew translation of the Book of Mormon really gave me that intellectual testimony besides the spiritual testimony I received from reading the Book of Mormon in Israel. So then I continued studying the Book of Isaiah. I did a, the dissertation on a literary structure called the Bifit structure that was discovered by... William Brownlee in, from the Dead Sea School of Isaiah in the 1950s. And my, my doctoral uh, uh, professor in Toronto, Roland K. Harrison, uh, put me onto that and I analyzed it for my dissertation and discovered the literary evidence that the rabbi in the rabbinic school uh, said that, you know, why it would apply to the end time. I also knew that from as a teenager that it applied to the end time, but now I found the literary proof and it was a really interesting discovery during these 10 years of beyond my doctoral dissertation of analyzing, analyzing, analyzing Isaiah using the manner of the Jews. I don't remember much of what actually was taught in rabbinic school, but I learned to analyze. And I would make an important important discovery in the book of Isaiah, you know, like a literary structure. You know, there are other literary structures. I discovered those and a number of them. I discovered word links and keywords and code names. I discovered I discovered typological evidences of history repeating itself in the end time and so forth, of ancient events that Isaiah talks about, 30 of them. So each time I made a, such a literary discovery, I totally had to revamp my thinking about the book of Isaiah from, from the get-go, from scratch. And all the ripple effects of that discovery, all those evidences, would have to ripple down until I eventually got a whole new perspective on the book of Isaiah, and that would keep happening over and over and over for ten years until eventually I kind of leveled out to a plateau and um, got a handle on Isaiah pretty well. And uh, Isaiah was to me a paradigm changer. It became a huge paradigm changer and a key to all the scriptures, and especially in exposing precepts of men, things that we believe today, even in the church, that are just not there in the scriptures. You know, favorite interpretations, uh, popular opinions, things that have been published in books and, and, and taught all over the place, and they're not there. Just somebody's idea gets a wild idea, and they, they talk about it, and then they somebody quotes him, and so it goes, and eventually that's gospel. And no, it isn't. It's not gospel. It's not even in the scriptures. So what we're going to do in these podcasts is go into a lot of those kind of scriptures, and. Show what they're actually saying, you know, using the manner of the Jews, analyzing what they actually say. Not using them as a proof text for what we want to believe or what we think they say. Because the whole book of Isaiah is one in- integrated fabric and you can't isolate any passages out of it. You, you cannot, when you truly analyze it, you cannot do a private interpretation. It's not subject to private interpretation when you take into account all the evidence. So that's what we're going to be doing, and some things people may like and some things they don't dislike because a lot of it will be new to people and things they haven't heard of a, heard of a hundred times before, so it can't be true, right? Well, yes, it is true. The scriptures say it, and you must believe the scriptures rather than you know, what you hear here and there, even over the pulpit. Not that everything you hear over the pulpit is not, is not true, but a lot from the scriptures from the book of Isaiah specifically, is not necessarily so. So uh, we have founded the, um, well, several people, founded the Isaiah Institute and the Hebraist, Hebraist Foundation back in 1990. That's 30 years. It's a little bit of an anniversary this 2020 year. And since then, we've been doing lectures and conferences and workshops and books, publishing those videos, MP3s. We have an amazing team of volunteers that are pushing this work forward. And by the way, you can join us. We need volunteers of all kinds, especially people with talent in the publishing field and in, in making videos and so forth. So, so really, this became kind of a, a calling of mine as a scribe in Israel. I consider myself a scribe in Israel, which is a legitimate calling. you are prophets, priests. And, and so forth, and scribes, Jesus said. And that's what a lot of people in his day did. And all the, all the Jews have had, always had scribes, of course. And I received a patriarchal blessing when I came to the United States the year after my baptism to come to BYU from Elder G. Smith, who was the patriarch of the church at that time. He's passed away now, he, and he, first of all, he retired. And one of the things he said that I'll share with you is that I would teach, and people would believe the things that I would teach. And I thought. Teach what? I don't have any ideas about teaching anything. Well, later on, you know, I thought maybe Sunday school, something like that. So (laughs) later on now, I I realize that this is a calling, a clear calling that I feel in my bones, so to speak. I, I, uh, (laughs) I, I think I must have been given it, you know, before I came here to this earth, because it is so important to me and it consumes me and has consumed me for 40 years or more, 50 years even. Um, It also means that some people would not believe the things I teach, and there's been a few of those and given me a hard time and given me a flack. But every time, if you take the things that you'll hear to the scriptures themselves and analyze them, they're all there. I don't give my own opinion. I don't do that. My motto is, if you can't show it, that is from the scriptures, don't say it. And there's a lot of things thrown about that people say that have, like I said, no basis in the scriptures. Well, here to, we're here to get what the scriptures say in this podcast series, Book of Mormon Prophecy Series. And there are 30 in the series, giving them out one, once you know every week. So first of all, we've got a few scriptures here, one, two, three, four, five, that I'm going to read to you and just basically just get into it as an introduction to the Book of Isaiah, especially in the Book of Mormon, because that's what it's about. Now, generally, as a, it's a great idea, it's a good idea, when you want to understand Isaiah, is to understand it in, its, in itself, in its own context first, not in the Book of Mormon. And then, when you take that understanding that you have from studying and analyzing Isaiah, that you gain, and it takes time, of course, to assimilate all of that, using the literary tools that I provide now in my books and, and publishing materials, using those tools to unlock the Book of Isaiah, To get a handle on it, then you can go to the Book of Mormon and understand Isaiah in its context. It's not easy, but it's worth so much. As I said, the Book of Mormon is a key to all scriptures. And once you get a handle on Isaiah, all scriptures start becoming intelligible to you. And this is what the Lord said to Isaiah, chapter 30, verse 8. Isaiah writes a book for the end time. The Lord says to him, Go now, write on tablets concerning them, that's concerning his people, both anciently and the end time, recorded in a book for the end time as a testimony forever. Recorded in a book for the end time. So there we have it, even in Isaiah's own words. The book of Isaiah is a book for the end time. And then we'll then, you know, you have to answer the question that I asked at first when I was a teenager, read Isaiah. And why then does it talk about Assyria? That nation doesn't even exist anymore. And Egypt, that ancient superpower of the world, Assyria was the world, the world power from the north that conquered the world by military force. Anciently, the ancient world, smaller ancient world of the ancient Near East. And, you know, how does that relate to today? Well, as we learn from the keys that I provide and the way that Isaiah prophesies and the evidences that we have in the scriptures, in the Book of Mormon, whenever the Book of Mormon prophets like Jacob and, and Nephi and Jesus, whenever they want to talk about the end time, the time that, you know, before the second coming of Christ and including the second coming of Christ, what do they do? They go to Isaiah. They always start with Isaiah and teach Isaiah in, in the sense that it is an end time context concerning the period that, you know, just immediately before Jesus' coming. The great worldwide destructions that happen in God's day of judgment upon the world and the restoration and deliverance of God's end time people. His, his elect people, his, the righteous people, those who repent, and the destruction of the wicked, and the deliverance of the righteous goes on simultaneously, and that's basic to the end time scenario, in Isaiah and in the Book of Mormon as well. The Book of Mormon is amazing because we'll get to that. There's so many details, you know. We could talk about it from the Book of Mormon. Now, the Book of Mormon writers they nuance, they nuance the, the words of Isaiah. They interpret them. They explain them a little bit, they are a huge help to understanding the book of Isaiah in that end-time context. And it's not even the time of Joseph Smith. You know, it's, it's, it's a specific end-time period of about seven years or so that precedes the coming of Christ and includes the coming of Christ, which is the coming of Jehovah in the book of Isaiah, one and the same. So, so he's commanded to write on tablets. Now, we haven't found those tablets yet. They could be plates also. It's the same word in Hebrew, luach, Means tablets or plates, and hopefully we'll find them someday, and get the pure word of Isaiah, you know, without any adulteration. But of course, the Book of Mormon says that the Old Testament or the Bible has come, has come from the Jews and its purity to the Gentiles. Not only the great and abominable Church, we'll talk about later, sometime, took away many plain and precious parts, but not in so much in handing it from generation to generation through the scribes, but rather by taking away covenants and God's relationship with, with his people and so forth out of the book uh, as a testimony forever because the book of Isaiah, it will be an eternal testimony. It's a testimony that applies then, and applies in his day and also to our day, to the end time, and will continue to be an inspiration throughout the millennial age, I'm sure. So then we go to Isaiah 29:18. Isaiah's words will be understood in the end time. And that's what Nephi also predicts in just a moment. And this is where he gets it from Isaiah himself. It says, in that day, it says, in that day shall the deaf hear the words of the book. That is the book of Isaiah. And the eyes of the blind see out of gross darkness. Now, the deaf and the blind are word links to God's people in the end time, as well as anciently, but specifically, the book is for the end time. And who are God's people today? Well, we are. A lot of these saints are. We're the covenant people of the Lord today. So we're called blind and deaf in the book of Isaiah. That's not very nice, is it? But yes, it is actually because we've got to get out of this deafness and out of this blindness. We're so worldly that we can't even see that we're blind. We haven't listened and studied and dealt with the prophecies or the words of the prophets or the words of Isaiah enough, not even close enough, near enough, or the book of Mormon so that we might hear with our ears and, and see with our eyes and understand in our minds, as Isaiah said in chapter 6, and repent and be delivered out of gross darkness, because darkness, you know, it's a veil of darkness that's over us. We're still under condemnation for treating the Word of God lightly, as the Doctrine and Covenants tells us. Moving on, this is what Nephi says about the, the blind and the deaf seeing, basically. Second Nephi 25, 7 and 8. Isaiah's prophecies are fulfilled in the end time. Nephi says, in the days of the prophecy of Isaiah shall be fulfilled. That's in the end time. From every which way you look at it, it's the end time. Men shall know of a surety at the times when they shall come to pass. In other words, men, not the house of Israel, not the Gentiles, he's talking about people in general, will know for sure. They haven't known for sure till then. Uh, same kind of thing with the book of Daniel and the book of Revelation. Those things are to be revealed to men's understanding in the end time, at the times." when they are fulfilled, are being fulfilled. And that's the way it is with the book of Isaiah. At the time these prophecies in the book of Isaiah are going to be fulfilled, that is in the end time. That is when people will understand it. Well, they haven't done so yet, right? Not, as, not in general. There are a few of us who, through the tools that I've provided, the literary tools, are beginning to understand them once you apply those tools. It's a learning process anyway. It takes a couple of years assimilating them and, and searching diligently for them, researching, making those, you know, getting into the material to really get a handle on Isaiah, what it's all about. And he says, For I know that they shall be of great worth unto them in the last days, for in that day shall they understand them, wherefore for their good have I written them. You know how hard it is to write on those gold plates, uh, to inscribe them? It's It's extremely difficult with a stylus, going very slow, one letter at a time, not like computers today. He wrote about a third of the book of Isaiah in the Book of Mormon. We have to ask, well, why is that all there? Just because of historical interest? No, because it's a message for us from the book of Isaiah to get us started, so to speak. Then we go to Isaiah 48, 6. People have neglected Isaiah's prophecy. We have. In fact, this is the great sin or crime that we have neglected. The very keys that are keys to all the scriptures, the Lord says to Isaiah. You've heard the whole vision. How is it? You do not, do not proclaim it. You've heard the whole vision? What vision? Well, the book of Isaiah starts off, chapter 1, verse 1, the vision of Isaiah. And it is a single vision. Even though all the book, parts of the book of Isaiah may have each one a different kind of historical circumstances in which the, the revelation was given, the way that Isaiah structured his book with multiple layered literary structures and keywords and codenames and word links, all tying everything together in the, throughout the book of Isaiah. And repeated combinations, in domino type combinations of uh, typological events like new Exodus, new wandering in the wilderness, new inheritance of the promised land, building of the temple, and so forth. All those things that repeat themselves in the end time, they're all tied together domino fashion. So structurally and rhetorically and and typologically, the whole book of Isaiah is is a very tight, tight unit, and it's what's called he called here the vision. You've heard the whole vision. How is it you do not proclaim it? Why don't you even mention it? You know, no one talks about it, and we come to it in the book of Mormon and we just skip over it, right? We have these mental blocks. We have these that are self-imposed, and and part of the problem, I I must admit, is the King James translation. The King James translation is, is, is uh, you know, archaic, it's literalistic, it's also inaccurate in many instances. And it's what's being used in the Book of Mormon because that was the most extant translation of Joseph Smith's day. But it's no longer current. There are better translations of the Bible like the New International Version. Have a look at the Interlinear Bible of the New International Version. It's a great, it's a great help. But even it has some problems. But as for Isaiah, the very thing that we should be focusing on that's part of the Book of Mormon, we ignore. Most of us have ignored it in the past, and this is Isaiah's and the Lord's complaint to us. And the last scripture we're going to read today, and then we'll kind of a short version here of the, of the podcast, number one, is from 3 Nephi 23 verses 1 through 3, a commandment to search the words of Isaiah that Jesus gives. He says, he's just been quoting from Isaiah. now. You think the Savior himself would you know, say his own words, that he quotes Isaiah and explains Isaiah. And he also quotes other prophets. So doesn't that tell you that it's really important, something is really important about Isaiah? When Nephi and Jacob cite a third of the book of Isaiah in the Book of Mormon, and Jesus does the same, continues that tradition and explains them as Nephi and Jacob do, There's something here that's a great, great key. And only those who actually go through the process of learning it, they are the ones whose eyes are open and whose ears are unstopped and to see what it really is. And if you don't make the attempt, you'll never know. You'll never know. Behold, I say unto you, it says, Jesus says, that you ought to search these things, the word for Hebrew in Hebrew for words is the same word as things. So you ought to search these words. Varim in Hebrew means words or things. Here, commandment I give unto you, that you search these things diligently. Well, the words of Isaiah that he's been quoting, and any words of Isaiah, for that matter. He makes it a commandment. The only one, you know, that he's ever given a commandment to search uh, is the book of Isaiah. So there's something there that's really important. And if the Lord gives a commandment, he prepares a way, right? If in the end time people are going to understand Isaiah, the words and everything, then the Lord is going to prepare a way. And he has. He's prepared a way through the literary evidences that I've discovered through which people can understand Isaiah completely. So a commandment I give unto you that you search these things diligently, these words diligently of Isaiah. Well, great are the words of Isaiah, he says. Well, we know, we know they're great, right? As people say. Yeah, everything's great. This is great. That's great. But when Jesus said, the Savior of the world, who created the world, and he says something is great, you better believe it. Well, great, you know, Isaiah was a poet as well as a prophet. He saw the end from the beginning. So, of course, his words would be great. But even from a purely poetic standpoint, uh, we don't want to get too who caught up about that. So who would be something, somebody great who was contribute to society in that way, like Shakespeare perhaps, or Einstein? They were they were men who made great discoveries and, and did great work. But greater the words of Isaiah, even greater than that, even greater than their things. Because they're life-giving. These scriptures are life-giving. For surely he spake as touching all things. He's going to tell you now why, he's, why they're great. Surely he spake as touching all things concerning my people, which are of the house of Israel. All things means past, present, future, specifically two scenarios, Isaiah's own day and the end time, as in Jewish tradition, as it says in Ecclesiastes 1.9, that which has been shall be, there's nothing new under the sun. History repeats itself. but specifically does so in the book of Isaiah. And also, all things means the fullness of the gospel of Jesus Christ in the book of Isaiah. And there it is when you analyze it in all its Hebrew richness, which is even more beautiful and richer than, than many of the things we're taught as the fullness of the gospel currently, the book of Isaiah has it, and has it to a great degree, like seven spiritual levels of salvation, exaltation, so forth. You know, as we get into these podcasts, you'll learn a lot of, about that. Concerning my people which are the house of Israel, therefore it must needs be that he must also speak to the Gentiles, why? Because of the Gentile interaction with the House of Israel. And as you know, from 720 or so BC, the 10 tribes of the House of Israel were scattered among, were scattered, in, taken into Mesopotamia, and they were scattered. And the House of Israel has been scattered far and wide, and even 10% of every generation of Jews. And they've been very you know, careful to not assimilate into the Gentiles, into non-Jews. Even 10% of, their, of the Jews have assimilated into the Gentiles and lost their identity. So, also, many of the Gentiles are mixed lineages of the house of Israel. And so, when, when the Jews in Jesus' day rejected Jesus, the gospel, which is the covenant blessing pertaining to God's covenant with Israel, could go to the Gentiles because even among the Gentiles, there were mixed or assimilated lineages of the house of Israel. Specifically, Ephraim, it says, Ephraim has assimilated most into the nations or the Gentiles, into the non-Jewish nations, and we'll be talking more about that specifically. Ephraim's end-time role in relation to the House of Israel, and all things that he spake have been and shall be, even according to the words which he spake. There is a reference to almost to Ecclesiastes one nine: "That which has been shall be." So history repeats itself, but specifically, as the Rabbi said in two instances in his own day, using the names of ancient nations and people that existed in the ancient world, like Assyria and Egypt and the others, and also in the end time, which means that those ancient nations become code names for end time world powers and end time nations and peoples that we're going to be familiar with as events lead up to the coming of of the Lord. They're going to be nations that repeat what the ancient nations of Assyria and Egypt did, for example, Egypt, you know, the, the superpower of Isaiah's day and not currently, and nothing to do with Egypt today in an end time setting. It's not the names that are important. It's the, it's the roles that these nations performed anciently that relate to something that happens in the end time. Of course, America is the great superpower of the day. So Egypt becomes a code name for, for America. And everything that Isaiah says about Egypt, how it falls into decline and, and has a civil war and so forth, we're going to be talking about that. And, and that's coming that's going to be discussed with us. Uh, and these events that we read about Egypt in Isaiah are going to happen here in our day. And Assyria, the great world power from, from the North that conquered the ancient world by military force. And we we'll guess who that can be. You know, It was an alliance of nations, and you can see that shaping up to uh, Those who have the communistic tendencies, they're becoming bullies in the world today. And they also have the technology All things that he spake have been and shall be, even according to the words which he spake. There you have it. Isaiah's day and the end time. As for the time frame, I'm just going to ask myself the question, how does my life's work fit into God's time frame of world events? Well, my life's work has been to make Isaiah plain to the understanding. The first thing I did was to do a new translation of the book of Isaiah. It's the Isaiah Institute's translation that's available on our websites. You've gone to isaiahexplained.com and isaiahinstitute.com. There you'll see those things. And, you know, today, what kind of world events are happening already? I, it's plain to me that considering these prophecies from the book of Isaiah, that the first domino of the end time has fallen with the, with the virus the plagues, the, the hurricanes, the locust plagues, earthquakes, many things happening today that without let up, everything is intensified. Moving forward, what remains to be done? Well, of, of my life's mission is to do these podcasts for, podcasts for one thing, and we're also hoping others will join us in producing many more materials. We have many materials that have been produced, like many books and so forth, videos and, and other things, MP3s many books on Audible today, but we have much more work left to do. So for the next time, podcast number two in this Book of Mormon Prophecy series, we're going to discuss who is who in the Book of Mormon's end-time scenario. And that's really important because we need to know who is who, who the House of Israel is, who the Gentiles are, who Ephraim is, because we have roles to perform. And if we don't know who we are, if we're thinking we're one thing and it's another in the scriptures, then we will not know, have a clear idea about what role we are, or mission we are to perform in the end time. So we'll see you there next time. And I recommend for reading, reading or listening um, the book called Studies in the Book of Mormon. It's a very simple and wonderful introduction to um, the Book of Mormon itself. I hope to see you next time. Thank you for listening. Thank you for joining us today join us next time when we learn who are the gentiles spoken of why is it important to know latter-day saints are called the gentiles in the book of mormon how does that impact our role toward the house of israel